If you're going to empathize with someone, it's, it's nice to know where they're coming from and to know what they're dealing with. So you have to be pretty intentional about that. It goes a long way to know that someone has actually done some research and knows kind of like where someone may be coming from. You're listening to Out of Line with Caroline Lee, exploring offline realities with online personalities. Matthew Schuler is well known for his YouTube channel, Bushu37, that he started in high school at the age of 15. Growing up in Albany, Oregon, he helped host the first Northwest YouTube gathering in June of 2008 and has been a large part of the YouTube community for over 10 years. Matthew publicly came out via a YouTube video in 2013 while at college in Seattle and now lives in Lincoln, Nebraska with his fiance, Michael, where he works as a wedding photographer. You moved to Nebraska how long ago? I did. Um, wow. Three and a half years ago. Man, that's a long time. That's like almost a presidency a right there. Very long time. Oh, my God. <laughs> President of Nebraska for the last three and a half years, ever since I moved here. Well, Correct. a term, a term, a term. Um, and you moved there because of love, right? Yeah, you could say that. Yeah. That happened. I I don't know. It was a weird time. It, um, I had just started seeing this guy, um, and I was going to school in Seattle. I had never been to the Midwest before, ever. And, um, yeah, it was a really weird time. There was a school shooting, um, and then I graduated. And then the day after I graduated, uh, my car was stolen, uh, along with everything I owned because I was moving out of my dorm. So, I don't know, in a span of a week, I had met the love of my life, graduated from college, and had everything stolen from me, and a school shooting happened. So oh, it was my like, gosh. I was like, welcome to adulthood. Boom. And um, I also lost my job because I couldn't get to my job because I didn't have a car. So, it was kind of like this weird time in life where um, everything, the sh- shit hit the fan. And um, so, I moved home with this grocery bag of my belongings, <laughs> took the bus. Um, so I arrived back in little Albany, Oregon. Um, and Michael was there to greet me because he had purchased a flight as soon as my car and everything was stolen. He's like, I'm not letting you be down there um, on your own handling this. So I'm just going to come out there and be with you. So he flew out. We had a graduation party because my mom had it planned and we weren't going to cancel it. Um, so right then and there, we had been dating for like less than a week and he was meeting my entire family, all of my old friends from high school. And just, I don't know, it was like, uh, oh, here's this guy I just met and we're dating and also I'm gay and everything's stolen. So hi. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is a lot for one human to handle in a short amount of time. <laughs> That's what my therapist says. <laughs> Had you had you not come out to your hometown yet? I had, and you know, I did post um, my coming out story on YouTube uh, about a year previous in 2013, and so 
nearly everyone I knew um, had seen that. And, but I, I didn't like date and I wasn't public about dating. So I had been out for a long time, but I never had a serious relationship for a long period of time. So, I mean, when I had just started dating Michael, it's kind of like, yeah, we just started dating. I don't know how serious this is. Um, and then it was kind of made serious in the span of a week, just through everything that happened. It was like, this is real. And, um, life is fragile and also like <laughs> life changing very fast right now. So it was, um, just a tidal wave of, um, stuff. And Michael and I were like, we have to handle this and deal with it. And we barely know each other yet. Here we are. And yeah, so it was like, this is my new serious relationship with a guy and uh, all you family and friends don't know anything about this, but now you do. And this is my life. So, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Months later I moved. So where did you guys meet? Uh, we met over YouTube. So he, um, actually posted a video response to my coming out video, um, with his coming out story and tweeted that to me a couple of times. And I finally saw it (laughs) sounds so like pretentious, but, um, you know, I had been getting uh, quite a few messages about people's coming out stories and things like that. So it wasn't something out of the ordinary, but to receive a video like that, it was out of the ordinary. And so I was happy I did see his message and then I watched it and I was like, Hey, this guy's really cute. We should talk. And also our stories are very similar. We have a lot to talk about. So, you know, also not shallow reasons. And so then we did talk on Skype. And from that moment on, we were talking every day in contact. And, um, yeah, three weeks later, he flew out to Seattle. And that's when all the shit hit the fan. So, Wow. Wow. I actually didn't realize that you guys met on YouTube. That is a YouTube love story. That's amazing. I love that so much. And especially because... You know, this we're we're here talking all about social media and online offline stuff, um, and so to hear that, I don't think I even know anyone who met on YouTube. So that's so that's amazing. Right? Yeah, and it totally changed my channel as well. Before that, my channel was very independent. I was talking about me. I was talking about what's going on in my life. And as soon as I met Michael and he came into the picture, it was like now it's about us and. Um, everybody who was following me at the time kind of went along with that. And, you know, it was really big and awesome and I loved it. Um, and it was really cool to be a part of that and share a little bit of our story online. Yeah. So how quickly after starting to date Michael, did you decide to move to Nebraska? Oh man, we had just started dating and we were already talking about me moving over there. So it was fast, but that was because I didn't, have any belongings or a car or anything. It was like, you know, um, (laughs) I don't have a job. I don't have anything here for me. I'm going to be living at my parents' house. Um, every, everything had changed. So I was like, all right, I need to make a decision. Am I going to, um, follow this guy who I just met and I have really strong feelings for, or am I going to try to figure things out here on my own? And I talked to my parents about it. And my mom was like, you know, the worst thing that can happen is that things don't work out when you move home. And I said, you are so right. I need to go after this and not play things completely just safe. You know, people say, oh, don't move places for a guy or don't quit school for a guy or, or something like that. But I was like, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I love so. that your mom. I love that your mom was so supportive. Um, is she someone that speaks into your life and gives you advice and wisdom a lot? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I feel like our relationship has grown a lot over the past um, five or six years because of um, me coming out and my parents just being so supportive of me and um, loving me anyway. And, you know, that um, it's, I, it's hard to put into words how much their support has meant to me in my life. And I definitely, you know, I wouldn't be here in Nebraska with Michael if my mom and dad had not supported our relationship from the very beginning. Um, because I don't know if I would have had the courage or strength to have moved across the country for something like that on my own. I would have been doubting myself the whole time, you know, and I did, I did doubt myself going over to Nebraska. So it was hard. Mm. Well, yeah, I think don't, don't they say, you know, they air quotes, they don't, they say that, um, a move is like one of the top sort of three traumatic things that, that a human can go through or am I making that up? It's possible. No, I, I think you're right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I haven't really considered it much of that being also a traumatic experience because um, I've been doing a lot of reflection kind of on that year of my life. Uh, I've tried to ignore it and shuffle it under the rug and not really deal with a lot of the things that happen um, during that time period. But I, I've been told time and again that that time was very traumatic. A lot of loss and trauma happened during that time um, with the changing and, and just everything that was happening. And the move was definitely a part of that. There's so much. And I felt, I felt a lot of grief during that next year mm. of just trying to deal with being away from family and friends and my life and college and just everything was like wave upon wave upon wave of just desperation. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it can be, um, it can be a lot to, I think a lot for a relationship to go through, um, for a move. I mean, when I married Jaden and I moved to, um, Australia, it was a lot on our relationship because I was kind of like, you're the only person I know. I don't have any friends. I don't know how to get to the grocery store yet without using a map. And so it's a lot on a relationship to just kind of like, Oh my suffocate God. Yes. Them. Reach. <laughs> I went through that tenfold coming to Nebraska. Definitely. Cause I, yeah, like you, I, I didn't know anybody. Um, and coming here, people don't people don't move to Lincoln, Nebraska, unless they're going to school here or they're working a job with a bunch of really cool hip coworkers. So, being someone just from the Northwest, moving here straight after college and not having any connections, and Michael was going to dental school every day, which is why I moved here in the first place. He couldn't move to the West Coast, obviously, because of his dental school. So, I was very much on my own. How did you, how did you go with that? Like, have you had things that you've done or are, um, support systems that you've been, been able to create? How was that even just on your own, I guess, mental health? Oh, <laughs> oh that is, yeah. Um, it was really bad. I don't know. I, it's hard because you ask like what my support system is or like how I got through it. And when I think about it, I don't know uh, how I did. And, and it's not like people go through so much worse stuff in life than a move. And some of these things that I went through, it's 
me, I'm like, oh my God, I can't make such a big deal about this, but it was such a difficult part of my life. And then other people look at me and they're like, well, you had Michael, you have Michael in your life. So things are fine. And I'm like, yes, having a really strong relationship is great. And I love him and he loved me, but that doesn't just make your life. Okay. And it doesn't make your mental health. Okay. And it's like Michael and I can be okay with each other and love each other, but that doesn't mean that I can love myself or be okay with myself. And so I think struggling with that, especially in my first year living in Nebraska, um, it just, I just had a lot of time to reflect and try to build on myself. So that resulted in diving into YouTube more, um, building relationships with online friends, um, getting into photography, trying to practice my art, things that brought me joy. Um, and it also manifested itself into me deciding not to go to medical school. I had just graduated with a physiology degree and I was in the process of applying to these medical schools. And I said, you know what? I really love learning about science, but I actually hate being around people. (laughs) (laughs) I hate being around people who are sick and complaining and all this. And that sounds evil, but no, at that time I was in a place where I was like, I just can't, like, I can't handle myself right now. I, I, there's no way I can take on medical school. And I just moved here for Michael. If I were to take on medical school, I would most likely have to move away. And so there was a lot going on with that. And just these crossroads of life, like, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Am I going to go for art? Am I going to go for medicine? Am I going to choose love? Am I going to choose myself? Like, (laughs) I don't know. Um, Can you choose love and yourself at the same time? Yeah, I, I believe, yes, you can. But um, at that time, I felt like I was making more sacrifices in order to, uh, because I believed in our relationship and making something work. Um, and that meant not doing everything that I wanted to do in life. So I had to sacrifice a part of what I wanted in life. Um, My plans were to live in Seattle and travel a lot and um, just kind of live a very single, free-spirited lifestyle, whatever that is, whatever dream I had. Um, And I just had to say, you know, that that would be a lot of fun, but I am choosing this guy because I feel very hopeful and strong about this. So that was, that's where my hope was. And that's where my, I guess how I got through it is I had Michael. That's the only thing I had really. You mentioned before that, um, that you have, you said that you had a therapist and your, your therapist said something about this season having to do with a lot of grief and loss. Is that, um, have you worked with a therapist for a long time? No, I haven't. Um, I, it's been an on and off thing in my life. And I did, I saw a counselor for a while in high school. And then, um, I, and I say a while, I like for a year or something like that. And then in college, I had several bouts having a counselor for different periods of time. Um, so it's been very on and off. And I just started seeing a new counselor in Lincoln, um, last November. Um, and that's been a lot of help here, just processing and kind of figuring things out. 
think we go through life um, taking in a lot of stuff that happens to us, and we try to say, you know, it's not that bad. I'm okay. I can move on with this. And we hold that in, and we hold it back, and we don't really fully process these things that happen to us. And um, we all have, you know, things that we do that we would see and maybe think, um, that's messed up or I'm not, a, you know, there's messed up things about me that I need to fix. Um, and we just kind of like sweep that under the rug. We don't really deal with it. Um, yeah. So, so then working with, um, working with this new therapist, is that something that you've then gone back in time to kind of tell stories, work through stories and, and kind of process things that have happened in the past or has it been more, um, have you been more focused on your present and being in Nebraska and, you know, being about to get married to your YouTube husband? Yes. So yes. exciting. It's both. I want to say first off that I'm so freaking excited for this time of my life because yeah, I mean, Michael and I have a wedding plan and a honeymoon and we're getting ready to be married and that's awesome. Um, but at the same time, I'm really trying to work on myself because I do have a lot of stuff that I'm still working through from my past, um, through childhood and just growing up as a very heavily closeted gay Christian man. Um, I grew up in the Northwest, which a lot of people are like, yeah, liberal. Yeah. Wonderful. But wasn't the case in my hometown. Wasn't the case where I was growing up. So, um, I think a lot of people have grown up in that type of environment and can understand. Um, so yeah, processing through a lot of that and talking with my counselor, I've um, been spending a lot of time looking at my past, but I'm trying not to dwell on it as much because I've found that for the most part, I like in my free time, one of my favorite hobbies is to just dwell on the past and be very, very upset and nostalgic, but so nostalgic, it's making me cry. And like, you know, I look back on life and I, I think of these times I've had with um, friends at different times in my life. And I think like that was the best time ever. But in reality, that time really sucked. Like, there was a lot of crap that happened in college and high school that just was not okay. Stuff that happened to me and stuff that I did that wasn't okay. And so much just drama and trouble and turmoil and dealing with sexuality and religion and guilt and shame and all of these things. And I look back at those times and I'm like, wow, you know, like, I totally love that time and foster the people with like going crazy and you know I, this album I loved and that album I loved I'm going to listen to all these songs and just cry about it because I'm so emotional and I'm trying to mask all of these really negative emotions with these little tiny positive hopeful memories <laughs> so it's interesting and I'm trying not to dwell on that as much anymore I'm trying to be more present with, with the time I have mm. uh I was sitting quietly the other day and, um, I, I've started to do yoga and like a little bit of meditation. And so I was in this yoga class and I was sitting there for just a couple minutes and I could feel like I had been going like 90 miles per hour for the past two days. And as soon as I sat down and just 
stayed there for a minute, I could feel my body just like completely decompress and everything just kind of like fall out of me. And then I thought to myself, like, this is the only moment I own now. There is no reason for me to get so mixed up about my future plans or to get so emotional about my past. But right now, like, this is the only moment that I own. And just sitting in that and trying to be happy and choosing to be happy in that moment is like, wow, powerful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have been doing um, A Course in Miracles this year. Um, Obviously, the, the year is new, but I did it a couple years ago and I'm doing it again. And Marianne Williamson has um, like a daily, she breaks it down because it's a book, but it's a really dense, intense book. And it's kind of like reading some sort of crazy, you know, foreign text when you're, when you're trying to just read it as a book. But she breaks it down into daily lessons for 365 days of the year. And um, there is so much in that book um, about, and in just in that practice about being aware of how our thoughts kind of create this reality and how we, how everything I look at, I'm looking at through my experience of the past, you know, like if I was just here in this moment and I was like picking up this pen, my experience with this pen would be totally different than actual me right now, picking up this pen and having memories of childhood. And the first time I learned to write and and writing and um, in school and learning how to do cursive and all of the things that I attach to this pen are all from the past, but the practice of being, trying to be neutral. And like you're saying, like being in the moment and being fully in this moment as the first new moment without trying to like put on all of these other pressures, it does take the pressure off. It's a lot lighter to not be, not be kind of, um, going into things with all of my history and all of my past as I'm, as I'm doing this one thing. So I definitely hear what you're saying. Um, how have you found it, um, change in your life being someone who grew up in a conservative part of the U S and then now someone who lives in another conservative part of the U S. Um, how have you changed with those two places and how do you see the world differently? Mm. Yeah, uh, oof, uh, <laughs> um, let's see. So I was saying, I was saying that my family's been very supportive of me. And I don't want that to come off as they haven't been skeptical. You know, they've taken what I've done with a little bit of a grain of salt. And like, you know, we're all humans, we're growing, we're processing. Um, and they're supportive of who I am they're not always supportive of my decisions, my life decisions. And that's understandable, but they still trust me to make the right decisions for myself. So there's, there's trust there. And I think in my life, my parents have always trusted me in my decisions. Um, we all didn't support LGBT people. in you know, prior to 2000, I would say even 2010, um, 2010, 2011, even, I don't know. Um, I, 
didn't accept my sexuality until 2012. Um, so up in the, up until then, and I knew I was gay since 2004. So we have six, seven, eight years where I was openly against homosexuality. My family was openly against homosexuality, and that was the norm for the area that I grew up in. And I was just trying to blend in. Um, and a lot of the times, I think how that's affected my development is anytime I was presented with a conflict or an issue, um, or if someone would say gay or fag in front of me, I would just take that and kind of suppress it in and put on a mask to make everyone think that I'm okay. I'd laugh along with it and be like, oh, yeah, gay, fag, whatever, you know, synonyms were stupid at that time and where I was growing up. Um, and just experiencing that, that on a daily basis because that was in our vocabulary every day among my friends, my family. Um, it was just something to joke about. So I think I really did take a lot of that just with every issue that came up, and I just suppressed it and said, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pound it down and put on a smiling face and um, be better than everyone else. And that's kind of what triggered my development is I wanted to be better than everyone else. And I worked as hard as I could and I was valedictorian at my high school and I wanted to be in all of the leadership um, activities and get the best scholarships and go to the best college. And I went to this awesome private university in Seattle, um, private Christian university. Um, and I was trying to pray, pray the game away and, you know, just become this person I felt was socially and religiously accepted. Um, and then I found out that the university was filled with um, gay guys like me trying to escape themselves. And we were all in there together. So that just kind of made a whole big drama pot. It was awesome and really, really crazy and just <laughs> really messed up. <laughs> um, what, yeah. do you, what do you mean by really messed up? Uh, it's just this very underground, secretive, shameful culture of um, gay dating. Everyone's kind of hooking up with each other, but we're not talking about it or being open with anyone um, because it's not okay. Mm -hmm. And self-doubting ourselves and uh, being ashamed of who we are as people um, while feeling like we're failing all the time because we can't suppress our actual legitimate emotions. Yeah. So you were legitimately working to, you said, pray the gay away. Was that even at, even when you were at college, you were actively trying to, yeah. yeah? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I learned in college through going through theology classes, because this isn't something that my professors believe. Um, it was something that the students believed coming from all of their families. Um, with really conservative Christian views and the professors, the classes I took taught me that that's not what Christianity is about at all. And that my view of Christianity and sexuality was completely wrong. And learning about that, it changed the way it changed the narrative and it changed my perspective on things. And I realized that I had been neglecting myself and just being dishonest with myself and everyone around me. And that's, I think, when I started to change and be more honest with my emotions and allow things to bother me. Um, and it just went from 
one polar to the other polar side of not letting anything bother me and being a rock and just depressing everything to allowing everything to bother me and just volatile, you know, just an exploding ball of emotion. Wow. And wow. Yeah. That, that had to be, that had to be a very, um, a very difficult season for you. I mean, I can't, I can only imagine that, um, growing up in a, in a space where you're not free to be you in any way. And when you're, when you're coming in contact with who you really are, um, you have to kind of pretend it's not there and completely deny its existence. And then all of a sudden you decide that, you know, you realize that you can, or you, you give yourself permission to whether or not people accept you, you're going to be true to it. Um, is that something, I guess the question that I'm, I'm curious about is how has that changed your own view of yourself and your own, I guess, perspective on the world or your own mental health? I mean, I, I'm only growing up in that environment. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm only, this is me projecting, but I mean, yeah. I can only imagine that growing up, um, in a space where you weren't, you didn't feel the freedom to be you and you had to put on another sort of persona when you were around certain people that that would have right. an effect on, um, on, on your mental health. And I, I guess, I know I keep saying that. So if I'm projecting that onto you, then you can be like, nope, I was great. And I'm still great. And I, and just tell me, no, <laughs> um, I think that this is where it gets really difficult because I, what you said about me being just okay and everything's great. And I've overcome this terrible thing in my life and I'm free to be me and everything's wonderful and happy and rainbows. That's, so far from the truth it couldn't be farther from the truth than what my life actually is and I it's hard because I feel like online on YouTube and on social media um, most of the people who follow me and my viewers they believe that I've made it in life that I have this awesome relationship and getting married to this wonderful guy um, and that I've come a long way from coming out. And I think I have come a long way from coming out, but I can't ignore everything that I'm dealing with from my childhood and, um, still trying to get through that. You know, it wasn't that long ago that I was not even okay with my own sexuality and I'm still trying to become okay with myself. So I think to answer your question, growing up in that environment and being just having neglect towards myself and not recognizing who I am as a person and being okay with that for such a long period of time, I've um, learned to just doubt myself all the time. I doubt myself in everything. Um, and I think the person I hate most is, yeah, just me sometimes. I try not to hate myself all the time, but I end up being very hard on myself. And it's been very difficult to realize this um, and I still haven't fully realized it. I'm still processing it. Um, but I've been trying to practice being mindful of that because um, with conversations with my counselor and other people, uh, how I view myself is that should, this shouldn't be how people view themselves. People should feel proud of themselves and, and 
think of themselves as, a, as good people doing good things. And I don't view myself like that. So there's a disconnect. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And is that something that you always, always have, have felt like going back to growing up in a, in a culture, in a, in a space where you weren't free to be who you are. And then now being in a space where you are free to be who you are, um, have, have, is that consistent across both phases of your life that you've struggled to, um, I guess I'm hearing you, you said hate yourself sometimes, but even just like be gentle with yourself. Um, right. right. Be forgiving. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Is that, is that something that you've had that whole time? Yeah. Uh, in the past, I think it's manifested itself in if I do really well, if I, um, get good grades, um, in high school, have all the girlfriends, <laughs> things like that, um, be really popular. I wanted to be the most popular person in my social circles. Um, have the most YouTube subscribers, uh, then that would, that would make up for my faults. And back then I thought if I was the most religious person and the most successful, most popular person, that would make up for me being gay and people would be forced to love me because I, um, had such big flaws Mm. in my being. I was a flawed human and, um, I think it's just like, I, I tell myself now, like, Oh, it's okay that I'm gay. This is fine. This is good. I'm happy that I'm gay. I wouldn't want to be straight anyway. I can tell myself that, but I still have like this mental pathway in me where I still think I'm flawed somehow that I still have things I need to make up for. So trying to be the most successful person I can be or being really popular still in my social circles. It's like, why am I still chasing these um, same attitudes I had in high school and middle school? And why can't I just be satisfied with who I am as a person now here presently? I don't have to worry about the future or be really upset about the past. Why can't I just be happy with myself now? And that's a big question to answer. Yeah, when you figure out the answer, I'm listening and I'm ready because <laughs> that's a big one. <laughs> that's a really big one. And I think, I feel like for, for me and for a lot of people that I guess I would assume are listening that can relate to this, um, I don't know if there is an answer. I don't know if there is a way to find the answer to that and to be like, oh, here's the, here's the destination. I'm, I'm there now. Um, I sort of wonder if it isn't, a a process and more of a, an ongoing thing. Um, one of my very, very dearest friends is, um, is gay and grew up in a Catholic family. And he told me about a book, um, called the velvet rage. And he told me to read it because he said that it was like the best book that he'd ever read, even just in understanding himself and his own sexuality and how, he sometimes feels what you're describing, which is this need to kind of overperform to kind of um, compensate for certain feelings of of lack or disapproval in society. Um, and he he told me about it and kind of asked me to read it um, or just told me about it and sort of left it up to me. But I read it and it was it was actually so, so good. I've been recommending it to everyone 
um, that I know just because whether you're gay or not, um, it's a very, very important look at what it's like for a man to grow up, especially in the West, especially in these times in society where now it's more acceptable to be gay, but still, still not fully. And what it's like right. for, for mental health, for people like that. Have you heard of that book before? You know, I haven't heard of that book, but what it brought to my mind is uh, Michael and I just finished reading this other book by um, Matthew Vine called God and the Gay Christian. Okay. Um, and this is so completely <laughs> different kinds of books, but still very helpful in the sense of like coming from a Christian or Catholic background. Um, God and the Gay Christian takes a perspective where it talks um it, it dives into the theology of the Bible and kind of digs into what people who are against homosexuality, what they believe and how that is actually wrong and not congruent with the Bible and what it says. So for me, reading that kind of information is very reassuring and figuring out just where I'm at um, as a Christian and wrestling with that. Um, yeah. Obviously, like, I'm very firm and strong with my belief in homosexuality and, and knowing that there there is nothing wrong with it. And I am so good where I'm at with my sexuality. But relearning about these things just helps strengthen in my mind, like, different arguments and any points of doubt that come up, any kinds of attacks that come in from the outside, um, like leading up to Christmas, um, one of Michael's siblings had sent... Um, uh, two packages just full of um, anti-gay material. <laughs> so two full packages in the mail um, come uh, 10 days before Christmas, and we're going up to see his family for Christmas uh, just that week. So we're like, oh, my God. Um, and a 22-page packet was in one of them that just ripped into us telling us that we're going to hell and that, you know, what we're doing is completely wrong and God won't forgive us and the family shouldn't support us. And if they do support us, then their children might become gay. So they really shouldn't support us because, and it's just so wrong. It was so wrong. But us receiving that, it just, uh, we, we just got so upset and, it, and this anger boils up within us. And we're like, why does this affect us like this? And we shouldn't be affected by it. But you know, when it's so close to home, when a family member does that and when it's, out of the blue, it did catch us off guard. And it was something that was like, now we have to deal with this. We have to call every family member because this wasn't just sent to us. It was sent to all of his siblings, his parents. It was sent to my parents, my parents. It was sent to his aunts and uncles. So this was a huge thing, but sometimes uh, really uh, misguided religious people will do this and it's evil and it's not okay. And, you know, it, um, like we're trying to plan a wedding. I'm dealing with my mental health and kind of figuring that out. And so just on the balance of, I'm not always like the strongest person and having something, that kind of attack come in, it is reassuring for me to be able to go back to arguments, theology books, and being able to process and argue that back and say, Hey, you're wrong. I've researched this. I've studied it. I know. And that just helps me process it and be more firm and, and believing in myself and knowing who I am. Oh 
man, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. I'm so sorry. Oh, God, and that was don't like, say that. No, I am. I'm so, that's horrible. That's horrible. I know I mean, it is. And I'm so sorry, too, because, I mean, that's so fresh and raw. Like, that's so, and you're in the middle of planning your wedding, and you're, you know, that's your future in-law, right? Like, your, your fiancé's sibling is right. that. So uh, there's that with it. Like, you know, we're, this is supposed to be a very happy time. You know, we're not supposed to, for, you know, over Christmas, we are with the family, and this is a celebratory time of, hey, we're getting married this year. This is awesome. Let's celebrate together. And to have that overhanging, and you, it's just so wrong. And oh, man. we've come a long way, but yeah. there's so much more to be done as far as we just want to live a normal life and yeah. be in love and supported by our friends and family. And then for things like that to happen, it's, it's, we can get through it. We're strong. It's okay, it's okay that we can get through this, but it's not okay that it's happening, and it shouldn't happen. So. Absolutely. It shouldn't happen. Um, what have you guys, what have you guys done that has supported you in that? Cause I think, um, you know, what you're describing, unfortunately is not uncommon. Um, you know, lots and lots of people are go through their own family members, rejecting their choices and in the same way, rejecting them. Did you and Michael feel or were you actually explicitly rejected by them? Like, did they did they say, like, we're not coming to your wedding or we're not going to see you at Christmas? Or in, in any sort of way, did they say this is kind of a final thing? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, they said they weren't coming to the wedding and they encouraged everyone else not to come as well. But um, that wasn't the worst thing. <laughs> they oh, no. um, were explaining that Michael and I needed to um, act as friends over holidays. We couldn't stand or sit close to each other or use any terminology that would give any idea to any of the grandchildren. Uh, Michael has 18 nieces and nephews that we would be together because, um, th this, this, the sibling wanted to protect the children from us. So we are a danger to the children because of our relationship with one another. Wow. So, if what you did, what did you guys do? What? That, if, that, yeah. It was just uncomfortable. I mean, it was extreme discomfort, but um, we just tried to be normal and live our lives as we would. And, of course, it's uncomfortable because something like that shouldn't happen. Um, but we were just happy to be with the family anyway. And we hung out with all the nieces and nephews. We didn't do anything different. Um, we hugged when we wanted to. We kissed when we wanted to. We held hands. I had to explain to quite a few of the nieces and nephews, like, yeah, we're getting married. Why don't you know? Like, this is, we've been together for three and a half years. Your parents haven't told you what? You know, so um, I'm just trying to be normal and not overstep. But at the same time, it's like we're – together this is common knowledge now and we're not going to pretend to be something we're not around family was the sibling there that that had sent the two packets oh yeah uh-huh oh man mm -hmm. that sounds like it was a little bit of a challenge to say the very least i'm so yeah, yeah i'm so sorry that you had to go through that um 
I'm I'm coming coming full circle. Oh on yeah. That a little. Okay. Okay. I, I mean, sorry, don't no. mean to interrupt. No, no, tell me. I just thought in my head. So coming full circle on that, I I feel like you know the time of life. Um, I'm dealing with how I didn't defend myself or stand up for myself when I was younger and just suppressed all of those feelings and everything. And now in the present, I'm actively trying to stand up for myself and process that and still defend myself against um, just homophobic behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And you said, you said before something, and this could be me reading into it. So tell me if I'm wrong, but you said something about being a gay Christian. Do you still identify as a Christian? I identify myself as spiritual. Um, I'm not, yeah, I think that there is some kind of spirituality to look at, celebrate, um, research and study, um, and practice, but I don't, I don't like prescribing to the term Christian because it has so many negative connotations. And I think that our understanding of a higher being, higher power is so, (laughs) it's so limited that all of the religions, I feel like maybe touch on parts, but nothing really accurately encompasses the whole. Um, Culturally, I'm like, brought up Christian. And so I still take that term onto myself, but I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing. Cause I, I struggle with that. I'm like, yes, I still practice a lot from the Christian faith, but I don't necessarily want to align myself completely with that. So absolutely. Spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand that. And does, um, does Michael, did Michael grow up Christian? I kind of am guessing that he did because of the packets? Yeah, totally. Both, <laughs> both of our families are Catholic. So. Okay, okay. So but is, the packets came from uh, evangelical. Ah, yes. Yeah. So does... Um, <laughs> so um, does, does your faith uh, play a part in your relationship together? Yeah, I think it does through just... I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's like hard to think about. Now that I, yeah, huh. Um, it's, it's like it does, but I don't know exactly how. Right. Okay. So you guys don't, you guys don't have any sort of deliberate, intentional practice that has anything to do with um, faith we don't or like, God. We don't pray together. Mm-hmm. We don't like pray together or, you know, he doesn't come home from school and be like, okay, let's pray. So... <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see a YouTube video of him doing that because I think that would be really amazing and out of character. So I'm into it. But like in our conversations and just through, yeah, we talk about it. We talk about religion and faith and um, just lots of heavy out there topics. Um, and I think that guides our relationship a little bit and just how we talk to each other and what we talk about. Um, but we don't have any rituals that we do. Okay. Are you going to have any spiritual components in your ceremony? Yes, I think so. I don't know. <laughs> like I'm trying to figure this out. We are still wedding planning. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I know I'm really, I'm asking a lot of big questions, but I'm just curious. We have I... a, yeah, we have a Christian officiant. Um, so that's good. And 
yeah, we still have a lot to go over with them. So it's, it's still out there. Um, yeah. So I don't know what exactly we're going to do. I know he'll like pray and that kind of thing during the ceremony, which is awesome. But um, I don't know what else exactly we'll do. What did the rest of both of your families do when they got the packets? Oh, yeah. Um, my parents thought it was a joke. So when I called them, they, <laughs> it was funny. I was on the phone with my mom and she's laughing about it. And she's like, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> and then the mailman comes up to her door and delivers it. And I like, while I'm on the phone with her and she's like, oh, you're not joking. Oh my God. And then it just became this really serious thing. And she was so upset and I totally understand like, oh, it's awful. Um, but <laughs> sorry, I just thought it was funny. Like she actually thought it was a joke. <laughs> and then she got the box. Oh, no. Um, but the other siblings, yeah, everyone is really upset. Uh, conflict's not, like, a huge thing to approach in Michael's family. They're pretty non-confrontational. Um, nobody wants to start a fight or anything. But um, So that was kind of hard because Michael and I ended up dealing with all of it in the sense of, you know, we're calling every single person that was involved to talk to them, see how they feel about it, um, make sure that we're okay, our relationship is okay with them. And we, we had to talk to everyone, and that took days to schedule this with everyone. Everyone lives in different states, and Michael has an enormous family, so it was just a lot to deal with. And he was studying for dentistry boards that week, his final exam for dentistry boards. So, oh, I really feel for him on that. I can't believe how he handled that situation. It was just a lot to deal with. Um, but his dad condemned her, uh, which was great. And um, there were some other siblings who said some things that um, were really supportive to us, and we really appreciated that. So we did find support, and that was awesome to be reaffirmed by family members. Yeah, So, so let's say someone's listening, and they either have a gay sibling or relative or friend and it's someone that they've known for a long time and they they did know them from a space of a faith background and they don't know they don't know how to care for that person they don't know how to kind of rationalize both their upbringing or like their framework of what they used to know that person as and what they are now um how do you most feel loved and supported by people like that in your life? Oh, man. Um, I would say complete and unconditional support. Um, trusting that person, not doubting where they're coming from, accepting where they're at at that time. If they are struggling with it, they they need support, they need love, they need to be hugged and um, told that you told that you love them um, where they're at and that there's nothing wrong with it you know there shouldn't be any ounce of yeah but have you thought about this or I, I don't know I don't know where you're coming from or it just needs to be loving that person right there and no no caveats, no nothing. <laughs> and I think another thing is just do your research. Like, 
if you have a really good friend or a family member or a sibling who is um, LGBTQ or anything like that, you you need to read up on it. You need to read um, God and the Gay Christian or um, one of those other books. I know Michael's reading a book called Torn right now, um, which is also an amazing story. And if you're going to empathize with someone, it's, it's nice to know where they're coming from and to know what they're dealing with. So um, you have to be pretty intentional about that. Um, and it, it goes a long way to know that someone has actually done some research and knows kind of like where someone may be coming from. And that, that's a lot of, that's a lot of support given there. Mm. Mm. So, so you would say that not only just being like, Hey, I love you. I love you and support you, but actually putting in effort to understand and empathize, um, and doing, doing actual work to put in your own effort, um, is it, that means a lot. Oh yeah. Um, being supportive with your words is one thing, but following it up with actions and showing that you care by researching the topic and, um, yeah, that goes even, that goes a long way. Mm. Definitely. Mm. Mm. Well, that's really helpful. Cause I think, I think especially like we're talking about with some of the some of the families and some of the the backgrounds that have more um, of a framework of of faith that does teach that this is a this is a you know a choice and it's bad and all of the things that people are raised with it can be difficult to know what to do like where where to where to from here now I do have someone that I absolutely love and adore who is LGBTQ and what does that look like? We're, you know, we're not necessarily taught that. And I think sometimes that people have their own, their own framework, their own, their own identity, their own ego, their own mental health. They have their own lens that they're viewing it through. And so it's a lot easier to make it about me and to look at your life and your relationship and put it, put myself through that filter than it is to just look at you and love you. And I think that that's, that's difficult for me in some circumstances, not with this topic, but in, in others, I mean, for me, (laughs) for me, sometimes it's the opposite for me. It's like, wait, what you're, you're choosing, you're choosing what? Um, and just looking at it and being like, cool, I love you. And making, making it end with, I love you. Um, and keeping my own processing and my own research to myself. It's difficult. Mm -hmm. It's difficult. So thanks for giving kind of, uh, insider look at what you, what, what you need and what supports you. All right. So we've covered a lot here in terms of a little bit about your, your story, especially with the past three and a half years with finishing college, falling in love, moving to Nebraska, faith, family, lots of, lots of stuff, um, going on for you. And so what's, oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> just a few things, just like, a few a things. <laughs> um, and you've also talked about, you know, your, your, your followers and, um, 
how they perceive you and how you're someone who's always positive and always has it together. Um, what do you do when you don't have it together? And how do you practice your own, your own health in all of this? Uh, yeah. Um, it's, I don't know. This is such a developing thing right now. I, I'm still in my first year of being self-employed. So I'm trying to figure that out, being a wedding photographer, um, running my business through YouTube, online, Instagram, social media, and I'm still trying to find my place in the world and figure out where I'm going from here. Um, I know I have a lot of skills to offer, but I don't know exactly what I'm doing with my life yet. <laughs> so it's getting there. But every day when I wake up, I have to make the decision if I'm going to like make this day count or if I'm going to do something with myself. And some days the answer is no, and I can't get out of the apartment. I can't really figure out what I'm doing. And I just have to, I don't know, wallow and kind of just spend some reflective time on myself. And, um, I still battle with depression and anxiety all the time. And I'm trying to figure out how to heal with that. And I think some days where that are not extraordinarily productive i'm working on that working on myself and just figuring out what to do next and how to survive um and other days when i'm feeling okay i can get up and say okay i'm gonna like make something with this day i try to be active and do physically active things which can be really difficult in the middle of winter in nebraska when it's negative whatever outside um but yeah like i I'm having to spend like more money on myself and not save as much. Like I had to get a gym membership, which I don't normally do. So things like that. And just, just being very purposeful with what I'm doing, scheduling everything out. Um, my workouts and things like that really helped me. Um, and then also practicing this yoga and meditation, I think will do wonders for me as I continue. I'm really hoping it helps out. <laughs> Just, like, I don't, I, I'm not someone who sits and allows quiet or silence to be around me. So um, it's really nice to, to purposefully do this and see how that can help me. Um, like I said earlier, just being able to sit and feel everything just flow out of my body and all of that stress and anxiety and everything that I'm holding on to because I will go day after day after day after day after day and not stop until I crash and then I'll just be a pile of mush for a couple of days as I figure out where I'm at in life but yeah yeah so showing up for yourself um making yourself a priority and being intentional about about creating time and space for you to be healthy that's supporting you a lot Right, because I think that was my problem in the past. I never gave myself time to process things. I would just try to ignore it and keep moving on with my life. And now I'm trying to give myself the time and space to process these things so I can um, move forward in a more productive way with my life. Mm. You said that you still are struggling with depression. Is that something that you have – is that an ongoing – um, journey for you? Is that go, go back a lot of years? Yeah. Um, I, it's, so I, I feel like everyone has some sort of depression at 
to some level an extent and all I know is what I've experienced and I know that it's something that's um, very prevalent like within my family within my genetics and so I've known about it for a really long time and I started experiencing it probably in middle school and then started taking medication for it in high school um, off and on high school college uh, now in adulthood and it's not something that I will experience at every part of my life, but it's very prevalent throughout my life. And so there are seasons in it. Do you find that medication has helped you a lot? I do, but I haven't quite found the right medication per se. I've had trouble with some medication. So, so like some have helped me. I don't know. It's hard. Let me start over on that. I, Um, I don't know. I don't know how to get into this now because I, so I experienced really insane physical symptoms with my body of, um, I have this extreme tension thing where everything will not up. Like, you know, that feeling where you have to pop a finger or pop a knuckle or something like that. And it's just that kind of tick in your head and you're like, I need to do this right now. Okay. Well now imagine that on all of your muscles and joints throughout your body but all the time. So I've experienced that since the sixth grade. I remember particularly like sitting in a uh, typing class and realizing this, this sensation that I had and it's progressively gotten worse every year since then. And so that's when, um, that was what made me first go and get anxiety, depression medication in order to, uh, battle, battle this. I got, on, uh, I think, Prozac? No, I can't remember what it was. Um, so I was put on some medication for that, and that helped take the edge off of it. Uh, but the, the medications that I've tried, they I've had really weird withdrawal symptoms from a lot of them. So I am not currently taking one of those medications right now. I'm trying to figure out what the next steps are and which medication I should go to. I've tried a lot of different kinds. And I haven't found one that has responded well with the chemistry of my body. Mm. Wow. And, and so is the physical sensation that you're talking about, um, do your doctors say that that's related to anxiety and depression? I haven't found a medical doctor to like, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I've had so much trouble with it. I don't know. Um, and I found that when I'm more stressed, uh, when I've experienced depression or anxiety to the extreme, this, it's been almost unbearable to the point, like, I've, I've had times where my knuckles will feel so tense, not in a painful way, just in a completely, like, consuming the brain kind of way. Like, I have this tick that I need to pop the knuckles that I, like, want to take my finger off. Like, I can't hold it there. It's, it's crazy. Wow. Make me sound insane. No. Yeah. No. Literally, uh, my whole thing, I'm convinced that we're all pretty much insane. So, no, you're good. Cool. You're good. We're all, we all have our own, our own thing that if we, if we told it, we would probably sound crazy. So, nope, you're not crazy. You're good. Yeah. Still um, trying to figure that out. Yeah. Wow. That sounds, that sounds like um, something that, well, I'm, again, I'm projecting here. Um let me re-ask that question. <laughs> um, 
I'm going to write down that I'm going to re-ask this question. Um, so is that something that is a source of, I guess, stress for you to try to figure it out? Or is it something yeah. that you're, yeah. It is because I, I sit at the computer for many hours a day, editing photos, editing video, um, doing social media stuff. And being in that position in front of the computer, it just kind of uh, creates that tension in my body. But also, um, I think this physical problem has come from the emotional problem in a way that anytime I've been given a conflict or um, something that I view as a threat in my life, I've usually, I guess I've taken that and kind of suppressed it in my body and this is my body's way of taking all of that tension and stress and just packing it away in my muscles. And then I feel it through this really interesting muscle twisting tension feeling I get. Wow. I, I mean, our, our mental health is very connected to our physical health, I believe. Um, so it would ma it right. makes total sense to me. It doesn't feel crazy to me at all. Um, what are, what are steps that you found to be helpful as you try to f get support or get the right kind of support in this part of your life? Is this, by the way, is this something you talk about at all on, online? No. Oh, well, okay. So I've, I've talked a little bit about it on videos. I've touched on it a tiny bit, but I haven't really gone into depth. Um, it's interesting because I, I don't want to be this depressing figure online and just be sad and mopey and talking about all these things. I want to bring hope to people and talk about love and happy things. Um, and I think my, the people who watch me, my following, they appreciate those happy and hopeful topics. And I don't think I'm allowed the space all the time to get into these things that I'm dealing with. And it might not be good for my brand. It might not be good for like my career as a wedding photographer and trying to like do all these happy things. I don't know if I'm allowed to be mm. like that. So it's a weird position to be in where I'm like, Hey, I'm actually not like the happiest person in the world. I might think I am. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting, it's a really interesting topic because I think um, I I only relate on a small scale of being like, oh, I I wanted I want to talk about this online, and then you know sometimes you put something out and people don't respond to it or they don't like it, and there's a part of me that says, well, it's your channel, keep doing it if you want to, keep totally. doing it. Yeah. But then there's the other part of me that also knows, yeah, but if you stop giving people what they actually want to hear or care about, then they're not going to stick around. Um, so it is this kind of weird fine line of how do you stay true to what matters to you and share about who you are and what your real life is like, and also keep people around. So you actually have, um, you know, otherwise, I mean, I guess the question is, do you care if people don't stick around? Um, and some, some days I do. And some days I don't, some days I'm like, I'm going to just post this photo. Cause I really like it. And I'm going to write a caption about something I really care about. And I don't care if no one sees it. And then other days I'm like, I should post a pink photo. So people. Like <laughs> oh my gosh. I just hate, I hate the algorithm. The I know. Algorithm, man, bring it down. It's 
the worst. And, yeah. And so part of that, I'm like, yeah, I do want to just post stuff that I want to post and makes me happy and, you know, is true to who I am. Um, but I, a lot of time I don't want to air my dirty laundry online either. You know, mm. I don't, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to be just a 110% open book for, um, I, I'm trying to figure out myself and build myself up and be okay with my whole being. Just everything about me. I want to be completely cool with, and I want to love myself. So, um, I don't know if I'm completely ready to put myself out there as 110% vulnerable and allow people to rip me apart. Cause you know, that can hurt and, um, still trying to figure out myself. I hear you. Absolutely. Yeah. I hear you. And, um, you don't have to, you don't have to. Um, that's something that I think is very empowering is giving yourself permission and freedom to um, to keep things private if you need to or want to. Or if things are in process and you don't have the answers, um, you don't owe the internet. Right. I have to tell myself that a lot. <laughs> don't owe you anything. <laughs> I don't owe the internet. No, it's true. It's so weird. It's a weird yeah. thing. It's a weird thing yeah, of like, oh, but I want to be honest and I want to be authentic and I want to be inspiring and I want to, you know, be transparent. And then sometimes only if it's good for you, do it if it's good for you. But yeah, no, I, I, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes being in front of the camera, it's, I feel like it's the only place I can really truly a hundred percent be myself in processing. Um, and I think that's what got me into YouTube to begin with in high school was mm. I, in this very sheltered, closeted place. I felt like I could only truly be myself if I put a persona on online. And it's like the pseudo persona that was the real me, but I was acting. I was being a character. So very weird, but kind of fun to look back on and be like, wow, how I was dealing with things. Yeah. Yeah. So what has been part of what has supported you as you've been working on finding support in mental health in depression and your physical, um, manifestations of what's going on in your, in your life, um, with your tension, um, what, what has supported you and maybe what hasn't worked? What's something that you've been like, Nope, don't do that. Don't talk to that kind of person. <laughs> Don't try that route. Oh, man. Oh, dude, that's interesting. Um, that's interesting to think about. There's a lot of different things you can try. I, I'm i an extrovert, so I found the most support uh, talking to close friends of mine. Um, all, all of my close friends live far away, um, so it's a lot of phone calls. And I... That, that really does help me because I am a verbal processor and talking about things just helps me a lot and doing things that I love, um, not for any specific reason to benefit my future or my career, but doing things that I love because I love them helps me making YouTube videos because I want to make a video and I want to talk about that freaking topic. I'll do that. Or, um, taking photos of whatever I want in, posting them and not caring 
that helps me. Just kind of relieving the stress, allowing myself to be a human and not set such high unrealistic expectations for myself and then get down on myself for not meeting these really unrealistic expectations, that helps. Um, Working out and being a normal person, just cooking and bringing it down to like the real level of, hey, we're not superhumans. We're not supposed to all do these insane, incredible things every single day of our lives. We still have to eat. We still have to take care of our bodies. We still have to sleep. Um, just be happy and present with what you're currently doing. And that helps me. What doesn't help me, um, oh, surrounding myself with uh, poisonous people or uh, bad influences sometimes. Just people who... I don't know. It's weird to think about. There's just, there's a lot of people who I just feel really negative about myself when I'm around. And so being aware of that and not putting myself in the position where I'm feeling those negative vibes. I don't want to put myself around people who are going to bring me down, um, who will insult me either directly or indirectly. Um, and I just want to stay away from those influences. So I try to separate myself from that. Amazing. Try to figure out a way to like say that. Nicely. Yeah. So, no. Yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. Just avoid assholes at all yeah. corners of your life. Great. Exactly. Thanks for that advice. No, it's like, true though. Hard time putting that into words. It's true. It's good. I like it. I like it. Um, Man, there's so much here. I mean, I I went into this conversation sort of assuming that we'd talk about just like one or two things and there's so much here. It's it's all it's amazing. I'm trying to even decide what what I'm going to call this episode because <laughs> it's so many different Ooh. things. I like it. Sorry. No, I love it. I love it. It's great. Um and I'm really grateful for how honest you've been and how how vulnerable you've been in sharing your your process especially especially the stuff that's been so recent with, um, with family and, you know, that's a lot, that's a lot. So thank you for, thank you for sharing all of that. And, um, (laughs) the story doesn't end here or, you know, everything that's happening in my life, I'm still in the midst of it. Um, I don't see like the light at the end of the tunnel per se. Um, I know that this is a process and I'm on a journey and I don't know where the journey is going to lead to. So, I mean, right now, uh, Michael and I are going to be moving in May, but we have no idea where we're moving to. Um, and we won't know until the end of this month when he hears back about pediatric residencies and things like that. So we're excited about that, but also thinking about like my future career and what I'm going to do for work. I'm like, I don't know where I'm going to be. So I don't necessarily what I'm, know what I'm going to be doing um, wedding photography is completely up in the air. And that's not something I necessarily want to do for the rest of my life either. I like creating art. I like photographing people. I love weddings. Um, so that's a, a part of my life, but I don't want it to be all of my life. So I'm exploring more into the travel industry and trying to figure that out and grapple with it. I always wanted to be a photographer for Nat Geo ever since I was like five. <laughs> And so I'm trying to figure out, like, okay, I really love travel. I need to make this more of a part of my life. So I'm trying to wrestle with that. And we'll see. It just depends on where we move, and then I can go from there. 
Yeah. Wow. I can't believe it. You're literally going to go through a whole new transition being married and living somewhere totally different. That's, that's insane. Yeah. It's, it's going to be very new. So I'm excited for it. Um, we know we're going back towards the West coast, so it's just going to be nice being closer to my family. Yeah. Well, we'll have to have you back on in the next in the next year when you get settled and we can check back in on what that's been like and uh what you found to support you even more wow i can't wait that's gonna be crazy to think about i don't know what i'm doing tomorrow let alone next year Stick around for part two of this discussion to hear a Q&A with Matthew Schuler about his social media practices. This episode of Out of Line was produced by me, Caroline. All sound editing, engineering, and original music composition by Jaden Lee. And a big thank you to Cat Footwear for working with Out of Line this season. Hit subscribe to get the next episode on your mobile device when it drops next week. And if you love what you heard, please whip out a review, will ya? <laughs> <laughs>